global shortages are causing farm input costs to skyrocket. A better way to farm shows you how to take control of inputs and maximize profits so you can farm the way you want. Now, from America's heartland, here's your host. Today, we're going to talk about full air feeding. Welcome to today's episode. We appreciate you tuning in. Right here at A Better Way to Farm, where we increase yields and improve profits. And we appreciate each and every one of you who take the time to listen to us on the podcast. We also appreciate the ones that reach out with a text or a phone call. And it's always a pleasure to get to talk to you. Today, I want to talk about full air feeding. My phone has started ringing pretty consistently as we start taking a look at guys who are saying, hey, my corn's at V2. And they know it's go time. In other words, it's time to get the scissors out and go do that tissue test. And we talked about that last week. Once we've done that tissue testing, then what? Well, obviously part of it was for education, but some of it is for corrective measure. And a lot of the guys are looking to either take corrective measures or push their yield farther up the yield curve. And as we take a look at this, when we go to full air feeding, there are, as we take a look at our own soil tests through Midwest Labs, Oftentimes, they'll make recommendations, especially on soybeans, that we do so much in the seed trench and then that we do so much foliar feeding. So those recommendations are already written and you're ready to go and there's nothing to worry about there. But a lot of the guys would like to fine-tune them either further and say, okay, we know what the soil showed. However, we want to make sure that we are actually doing exactly what the tissue needs, what the plant needs, so they do the tissue test. Now, the nice thing about going through Midwest Labs is They come back with your normals. They come back with your levels. They also come back with specific recommendations down to ounces per acre. You know, maybe you only need four ounces of zinc to the acre to get to that maximum yield potential that's out there. And I think one of the keys to foliar feeding is this. It's that we do it as a science. Oftentimes in the marketplace, I hear people working for retailers coming out and they're saying things like, hey, why don't you try some of this? Guys, why don't you try some is not a very scientific way. That's basically code for, I, the salesman, need some commission. You should buy some of this and see how it works. You know, and even when they say, why don't you try some because it did thus and so on Joe's farm over here, but we don't know what Joe's fertility is. We don't know what his hybrids are. We don't know a lot of different things. And the fact that something in particular worked great for Joe doesn't mean that it'll work for you. As a matter of fact, something that works great in one of your fields may not work very well in three or four of your other fields. That's why we have to do this on a field-by-field basis. And so rather than go with the old tried and true, let's just give some a try and see what happens, throw some mud against the wall and hope it sticks, let's go with a proven plan. Let's go with a tissue test. Let's go with the recommendations that are made. Now, some of the things that happen in foliar feeding, I just recently did some reading here, and one of the things that came out was, I won't say which one, but one of the land-grant universities was pretty harsh. They came out and said that they were against foliar feeding, that they you know, weren't able to get it to work the majority of the time, that it was unpredictable, and they recommended that no one do it. Now, some of the, at the exact same time, within 10 days of that article dropping, the same state, their soybean board, came out with a whole article on foliar feeding soybeans, why you should do it, how it's working, the results that they're getting. So the land grant's saying, no, it doesn't work. The state soybean board is saying, yes, it does. Why don't we go ahead and do this? Let's talk just a little bit about how that could be. I've used this example many times, but the fact of the matter is, if you had a Ford pickup or a Chevy pickup or whatever, and you got a lemon, 
and I'm not going to get into my bias on what brand I want here, but the fact is everybody has, but let's do this. If you bought a Ford Pinto and you had bad luck with it, as many people did, you could run around running your mouth saying cars don't work or specifically Ford cars don't work. Now, if you took that Ford Pinto and you sold it and then you went and bought a Chevy Vega, you'd be saying the same thing. You'd be saying Chevy cars don't work. Chevy and Ford both have made some really good automobiles. Those two were really not the ones, okay? You know, they weren't durable. They didn't last. They didn't ride well. Didn't mean all cars are bad. It just means those two cars were bad. Foliar feeding, we went out and we tried a Pinto or we tried a Vega. We tried something that really wasn't the right thing to foliar feed. We didn't do it the way I'm going to go over the four R's here in a little bit to tell us exactly how to do it. And therefore, we didn't get results. And so they want to say that it doesn't work. Well, the fact of the matter is, if you do a little research, it's actually well documented that foliar feeding is 20 times more effective than feeding the soil. That it's 20 times more effective to foliar feed than it is to broadcast fertilizer. And so therefore, there's some great merit here and it really is worthy of giving a listen to and taking a look. Now, I want to go through the four R's because you guys know that I'm, I fundamentally believe that the industry has used the four R's to appeal and appease people who are from the side of really being concerned about the environment. And I'm not against being concerned about the environment because taking care of the environment also takes care of us economically. Product that goes down the creek is wasted money. It's also going to create trouble in the Gulf of Mexico. And so as we start looking at this, this is a place where we have to get real about the four R's. We can't give it lip service. We can't say, oh, well, we don't, you know, we got to use the right product, right place, right time, all of that, and then put fall applied anhydrous on. You just, those are not compatible. Okay. You got to be honest with yourself. And so when we start looking at the first R here, we're going to look at the right source or we're going to look at the right product. Now, let me open with this because personally, I am opposed to foliar feeding sulfur. We have a 31818 that we row place as a starter. We mix a gallon of potassium thiosulfate with it and it makes a 215193S. Fantastic product to row place. I really love that product. Great results. However, when it comes time to foliar feed, and I just had this conversation with a good friend of mine that lives about 25 miles south of me here. He was just ready to start foliar feeding and he had heads already out on his wheat. And I said, well, the Feast XL, the 26% is the product that you really want. And he said, we're going today. We don't have any. And I said, okay, well, 31818 will work. And he said, we don't have that either. We've got 215.19.3. And I was like, don't do it. Because we get phytotoxicity there, and that is not what we want. We don't like foliar feeding sulfur. I think there's a lot of other ways to do it. We can replace the 215.19.3. We can wide drop it. With, the, with some some of the potassium sulfate, we can use ammonium sulfate, we can use ammonium thiosulfate, but we should not be foliar feeding sulfur. It's just too big of a risk, in my opinion. Now, we start looking about the source or the products. Obviously, we can go to Dr. Google, and it's always interesting to see what is said there. Of course, there's a bunch of ads from companies who are trying to get into the foliar feeding market. They believe that, you know, there's there's money to be made here, and so they've come up with products that you know, they're they're not very well versed in this, but they've got something they'd like to sell you. And that makes me a little nervous, but that didn't bother me near as much as some of the other things that I read. I got to reading on there and it talked about there were multiple authors that were talking about each of us should just go build 
our own full air feed fertilizer. That somehow we're going to mix up some 1846 and we're going to get it into a liquid and we're going to go full air feed that. Guys, that is wrong on so many levels. So many levels. Number one, when we're full air feeding, we cannot have heavy metals in there. It just isn't going to work. Number two, we've got to make sure what we're doing isn't causing burn. If we're building our own, we don't have probably the ability to test the quality of the raw materials. Now, the next thing that this particular author said was, after you've built your own, why don't you go ahead and put some dish soap in it? Now, his idea is that you need a surfactant and dish soap. You can make the case that it can be kind of a a low-grade, if you will, surfactant. That is not the right one. We do need a surfactant. I'm going to talk about that, but it has to be a NIS or non-ionic surfactant. Another article went on to talk about this guy was saying, just, man, it's easy. You just go take urea and you mix it up and you get it in a liquid and you go foliar feed that. That is not a good idea unless you'd really like to burn your crop. It's going to cause a bunch of burn. That is not what we're after. We do have a product I'm going to talk about when it comes to the right time, but we have a 26% triazone nitrogen built to be applied at R2. It goes with fungicide very nicely. And it is low burn. It doesn't create burn. But we're looking at the right source or the right product. We've got to take into account, you know, years ago, we thought all of the nutrients that were applied foliar went in through the stomata. And the reality is now they're figuring out that actually it goes in through the cuticle. That's very important because we have to understand that a cuticle is a very small pore. I'm going to try to put this in perspective so we understand exactly what it does look like. The cuticle that the fertilizer has to go through to go into the plant is less than one nanometer, okay? Now, just so we understand what that is, a nanometer is one one trillionth of a meter. It's very small. So a pore that has the diameter of one one trillionth of a meter is how we're going to take this in. Put that in perspective. A sheet of paper, this sheet of paper right here, the thickness of this sheet is 100,000 nanometers. So that means that that pore that I'm going to put that fertilizer in through is one one thousandth of this thickness. That's the diameter of that pore. And so we've really got to make sure we're getting the right product there or it's not going to go in because it's very critical to understand that. Urean water, not a good choice. It's not going to go in very well. It's going to cause a lot of burn. You know, it's funny because getting the right product has to do with the stage that we're in. You know, our first window that we like to foliar feed the corn and the beans at is somewhere between V3 and V5. That's why the guys are tissue testing a V2, getting them sent in so they can get their product in and get it to go. So V3 to V5. And guys, that is not a time to be putting on 26% or any kind of heavy nitrogen. It's the time to be using a 318.18 or a 918.9. V8, same thing. We need a complete NPK, guys, because a lot of foliar feeding to be successful is going to be based upon using exactly the right micronutrients and exactly the right secondary nutrients. And those have been shown to go into the plant way better in the presence of an NPK. So something that has no phosphorus or no potassium is not a good carrier to get the micros, the zinc, the manganese, the boron, the copper whatever it might be, iron, whatever it is that you're needing to put in there. And so we've got to make sure we're choosing the right source. We have to have the right product. It's got to be totally pure. Zero detectable heavy metals. Those are going to work against us. 
and we have got to make sure we're not doing it. Heavy metals disrupt DNA anyway. We know that, and we don't want to disrupt the DNA of the plant. So we want to make sure we're using the right product in order to get the best results. We do want a surfactant in there, and it's got to be a non-ionic surfactant. We have the best product that I have ever seen in my life in 31 years. No one has anything that's even remotely close to it. This has been studied by kids in science fairs. It's been studied throughout the industry. It's been observed in the field on thousands of opportunities to look there. And what does it do? Number one, it makes what we apply stick to the plant. And number two, this particular surfactant, what it does is once we get the product on the leaf, it doesn't run, it spreads. So just imagine you have a drop of water and you put this surfactant, a little little bitty touch of this surfactant on there, that drop of water will just absolutely dissipate and run all over the place and spread out. And so that's what we're looking for when we do that. Let's jump into the second R. You know, we've talked about the right product, the right source. And I, I want to back up micronutrients because the fact is, guys, a lot of what needs to be done from a foliar feeding standpoint is the micros and the secondaries. And so we've got to make sure that we're putting on that magnesium if we need it. We've got to make sure we're putting in that calcium if we need it. We got to make sure we're doing zinc or iron or whatever. And every one of those, it is imperative that number one, they be chelated. That's part of the right product. And I have a, a test right here in front of me that I showed last week, I think it was. And this particular test, it was someone who had purchased manganese. It was 6% manganese, and that part was true. That label was correct. But when they sent it in to check for the percentage of chelation, 94% of the manganese in that jug was not chelated. That means it was not protected. That means it was not holding the charge. Because we have to hold the correct electrical charge in order to make sure that that nutrient gets sucked into the plant instead of repelled. As you guys know, charge is very important and two like charges are going to repel each other. And so if we have manganese or zinc or whatever it might be that isn't chelated, there's a repelling effect that takes grab there. And we want to make sure that we're not doing that. And so getting a nutrient in there that is the right charge, it's 100% chelated, that has zero heavy metals in it is paramount to being successful. So that's why it's important to get the right source or the right product, if you will. Let's talk about the right rate. If you guys have heard me talk before, you know that I'm very adamant that I want a low volume and I want a very high pressure. In particular, on, on our product, on the fertilizer and the micros together, we're looking at somewhere between two and three gallon, I'm very uncomfortable to cross over that three gallon threshold. One, I don't think there's bang for your buck. Two, you run the risk of getting burn, and burn always sets back yield. That's the volume or the, the rate of the fertilizer and the nutrients. But what are we going to put in there for a carrier? Well, when we're doing the 2600 trizone at R2, it is the carrier. Most of the guys are putting on two gallon of that with a drone or an airplane along with their fungicide, and that is the whole carrier. Now, when we're getting into the 318-18 and the micros at V3 to V5 and then again at V8, what are we talking about here? I would love to see you stay under 8. I think that once you cross over 10-gallon total, 2-gallon fertilizer, 8-gallon of water, we're becoming exceedingly inefficient. I would be a lot happier with 2 or 3-gallon of fertilizer and then 6 or 5-gallon of water for a total solution of 8. And if we could get it down to 5, that even makes me happier because it's going to be more successful for you. 
It's about concentration. It's about getting it to go into there. It's about not putting on enough liquid to wash it off. Sometimes we wash the product off the leaf because we use too much. So we got to get the right rate. I see guys who say, man, we tried full ear feeding and it didn't work. And you start asking them and they had their sprayer set and they're putting on 20 gallons of the acre. And so they put on 18 gallon of water and two gallon of fertilizer and they went out and they're like, we didn't see anything. And I'm like, I'm sure you didn't. Because the fact of the matter is when we're spraying 20 gallon, 25 gallon total, what we're doing is treating the soil. The lion's share of it is big droplets. It's going to hit the soil. We don't want it to hit the soil. That's why we want that little bitty particle. It's why we want a, a if you will, a, a mist when we do this. Foliar feeding, we're going to talk about timing but in a little bit, but it needs to be done early or late. And if you're running with headlights, when you turn at the end of the field, you should just see a fog hanging in the air. That's when we're doing it right. Why is that? Because that's how we know we get the rate right. We're using a low volume, a low rate. It's atomized. It's hanging in the air. And there was work done out of, uh, in California. They actually used radioactive isotopes and put it in with the fertilizer. And there was an attraction. And once we got that atomized, it would be drawn into those little plants. So even though we're foliar feeding at V3 to V5, and there's a lot of dirt showing, the fact is the leaf surface will suck that in if we have the right charge and we're doing it correctly. Guys, when we're spraying 25 gallon, you know, a lot of our chemical companies are telling us we need to spray chemicals with a droplet size that's 400 microns. 400 microns. That's a pretty big droplet. And I'm okay with that when we're spraying chemicals. I understand why. We don't want it to drift. We don't want to have problems there. But we need to understand that a micron is 1,000 nanometers. So if you've got a droplet size of 400 microns, it's 400,000 times too big to go in through that cuticle. 400,000 times. Guys, everything matters. And when we start looking at this, we've got to do the right thing. Too much water is going to wash it off. Too much water is going to have too big of a droplet size. So what are we looking at for a rate? Low volume, less than 8 gallon, high pressure, more than 65 pounds. Once we get to 65, we're getting a good start. I'm happier at 75 or 80, so you're going to have to get some spatial jets in order to get this rate right. I get guys that say, well, I'll just drive faster. Well, you can't drive 40 miles an hour in order to get this pressure that you need and keep the volume down. We need to go look at what jets go to your sprayer specialties or whoever your supplier is and say, hey, here's the deal. At this speed, I'm going to be applying, you know, eight gallon or five gallon total solution and I'm going to run really high pressure. Give me the right tips and they will do that for you. So if we're looking backwards and we're seeing a fog, we've probably got the rate dialed in pretty close. Let's jump into the third R and let's talk about the right place. And this is actually a very short subject here for right place because here it is. In a nutshell, the right place is on the leaf, not on the dirt. We want all of the product being attracted to the leaf surface, and we don't want any of it falling to the soil. And so how is it that we're going to do that? Well, we go back to our conversation we just had about right rate. When we use the right rate of high pressure, low volume, and we use that NIS surfactant, that non-ionic surfactant, we're going to get it to go onto the leaf and we're going to get it to stay there. Another thing it has to do actually with the placement is the time of day. 
And we're going to talk about the timing here in a little bit. But all of these things work together. I'm not trying to be redundant, but there's an overlap. When we do one thing right, the other one is correct. And if we do one thing wrong, it may impact two or three of the other four R's. And all of a sudden, it's not working. I have a friend and he says, life is pretty easy. Figure out how it works and get on the right side of it. Foliar feeding is pretty easy when we figure out how to do it and we do it correctly. And it's not even that difficult, but there are some things that we need to do. And so we want to make sure that we're putting it on the leaf, not on the soil, and we're getting that placement where we want it. As we start looking at coming in here with the right time, there are multiple aspects of being in the right time. Number one, the right time as in the right plant stage. I got a text this morning from a young man who works with us. I have a great deal of respect for him, and he was confirming. He's like, this is V2, correct? And I was like, yes, it is. And the problem was there's a whole bunch of leaves that you could see, but V2 means you have two leaf collars. That's it. I don't care how many you can see in the world. I don't care about anything. I care about how many leaf collars are there. He was a V2, so he's taking his scissors, cutting them off, sending them in. Plant staging is important, guys, and this time is key. Why? Because when we're looking at corn, our first window to foliar feed, V3 to V5. So that means we should have tissue tested at V2. The next window, V8. So we want to tissue test at V7. The next window is R2. That's when we're going to look at that high nitrogen going in there with just a touch of boron and helping get that grain to fill out, get that kernel bigger, and get that test weight up. And that's what we're looking for there. Hey, by the way, guys, we have one of our fundamentals of agronomy coming up. We're going to be up in the Des Moines area July 12th and 13th. And we would love for you to come in and take a look at what we do and gather up just all the knowledge that you can. We love what we do. We love the chance to sit down and talk about all of these different things. This is all covered there in deep depth. The other timing, not only do we have the time of the plant staging, but we also have the time of day. Now, the time of day has more to do with the thermometer than it does with the clock. However, the clock tends to be early in the morning or late in the evening or overnight because the time of day that we're talking about is when the thermometer is less than 86 degrees. Once we cross 86 degrees, it's time to go home. Go play golf, go mow the yard, go swimming. I don't care what you do, but don't go foliar feeding because that the stomata and the cuticles are going to close up. We're going to increase our chance of burn. We're going to decrease our chances of success. There's no reason to do that. Also, if your temperature goes across 86, above 86, then you can't start back up that night until you get a 10-degree drop. For instance, let's say your high only goes to 91. So what you're waiting on in the evening is that thermometer to show you 81 because it's got to be a 10-degree drop from your high before you go back out there and start in again. And if that doesn't happen, then we're waiting for tomorrow morning to give it a go. Guys, typically the right time is going to be early in the morning and late in the evening, even into the night. And it is paramount that we get this timing thing down. These four R's are super important everywhere, and they're even more important in foliar feeding. So we've got to have the right time in that it has to be the right time in the life of the plant. It has to be the right time of day based on the temperature. As we look at these four R's, guys, they drive our success. They determine whether or not we're going to fail or we're going to succeed. You know, if you do a lot of reading, there are people who are very much for full air feeding. There are people who are very much against it. You know, I, last week I talked about the fact that there were some individuals who said they didn't have very good results and, and there were some land-grant universities really against it. But the bottom line is this. 
a lot of top-end producers do it. Because I just spoke with one of my really good friends from down in Southern Missouri today. It was an honor to, to get to talk to Jerry, like always. And I think he's going to be on the podcast and possibly on the Facebook page here next week. But he was talking about getting ready to foliar feed. I think that the thing to remember is this. We're not necessarily saying foliar feeding is going to get you 10 bushels or foliar feeding is going to get you 5 bushels. We tend to see it being percentages. A good rule of thumb is we're going to get about a 10% boost when we do it. What does that mean? That means we want to foliar feed our best stuff. Sometimes it's okay to try and do a rescue, but we got to understand if that cornfield's in real trouble and it's only going to make 80 bushel, we're probably only going to push it to 88. Our resources would be better spent to go to the field where it's already making 250 and say, we can pick up another 25 here. We're going to spend the same money, but we're going to get a lot bigger return. And sometimes those fields are so far gone, there is no rescue. And that's the one place where we don't get a response. And so it's paramount that we make sure we're doing that correctly. But we're looking at percentages. Now, I talked to Jerry, and when you hear Jerry speak, he's going to tell you that he foliar feeds 100% of his acres the first time. At V3, he intends to do all of them. At V8, he looks at it and goes, okay, this is my best 50%. I'm going to allocate my resources here. And so his second time at V8, he foliar feeds half. His third time at R2, He's taking a look at it and go, okay, this is the best half of my best half. In other words, this is the best 25% on my farm. And I'm going to hit it again because that's where I can get the big response. And so as we start looking at this, when you're first starting out, I would recommend that you only foliar feed your best half and then the best half of that and maybe the best half of that. And you start to get your feet wet and you see, you get familiar with how it works and see what it does before we go whole hog. Guys, we are all about return on investment. That's the bottom line. If what we're doing doesn't make a return, then it's all for nothing. And we're not going to be involved in that. So we want to make sure that we're doing it in the correct way. So embrace the four R's. Guys, I want to encourage you, meet us up in Des Moines here in July. Get some more information. And let's get started. If you'd like to have a further conversation about foliar feeding, reach out to us, 641-919-1206. You can send us a message. You can give us a phone call. We would love to talk to you. We appreciate you tuning in. We look forward to bringing you some great information. We hope you're having the best growing season ever, and we always hope you guys are having a better day. You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.